take a seat, and if there's any children that would like to join Pastor Becky and her team, they're going to be having their kids' ministry, the kids' table at the back. So um, happy Labor Day weekend to everybody. I know today here in Pennsylvania, it's a little bit uh, cloudy and rainy, but that's okay because it's a good day to be together. And I'm so glad that you're here because we are going to be finishing this series today that we've been camped out in for the last seven weeks or so called Underdog, Underdog. And I don't know if you've caught any underdogs recently. In the last few days, maybe in the last week, maybe in your sports watching, um, any Penn State Nittany Lions fans in the house or worshiping online, underdog situation a little bit yesterday, so kudos to you for pulling out that win. And also, if you're looking for something interesting to check out on YouTube, I encourage you to um, check out the Paralympic Games. Um, they've been taking place in Tokyo after the, the um, other Olympics have had unfolded. And I tell you, there was a, um, a race on Friday night. It was called the Universal Relay. And basically, they had one person from each of the categories that participate in the Paralympics, one who's a wheelchair, one who is uh, visually impaired, and, um, and two other folks, one with, I think, a prosthetic. Um, and they paired them up in a, in a team, and they competed against other countries. And I tell you... Team USA, they pulled out this win that actually got the, the um, record for that race. And it's an amazing thing to watch. I encourage you to check it out on YouTube. And uh, if you want to talk about, you know, just underdog in a lot of different ways about how these people actually, they run faster than I do. And it's, um, and probably most of us here too. It's an amazing thing. So, um, so today we're going to wrap up the series with a look at something that we usually associate with being a winner. And that is this thing called being rich, being rich. But first, before we dive into that, I'm going to tell you a little story, and then I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and then we're going to get into some teaching from the Bible. We're going to look at Philippians 4 today. So first, I want to take you back to the summer of 1994. Where were you in 1994? We have some people that were like, I wasn't born yet, right? Do you remember 1994? I do because it was the summer of my first job, my first paid employed job as a junior counselor at a day camp. And, um, it, and so kind of in honor of Labor Day, just think back, reminisce. You remember your first job, the first paid job that you had? Well, I fell into the position of this junior counselor probably about mid-season. Somebody had gotten sick and I was a, a counselor in training, kind of like a uh, um, you know, a student that was kind of uh, learning how to be a counselor. And so anyway, I got j- jumped up to join the junior counselor squad. And, um, and of course, what do you do on day one when you start a new job? You fill out tax paperwork. Woohoo, right? Pay Uncle Sam. And I wound up paying Uncle Sam about half of my meager salary. Uh, believe it or not. And, and so, um, so I was working this and getting paid for it apparently. And I remember, I remember that moment. I'll never forget my first payday, my first payday. I, I remember going to the, the office at the day camp, as was you had to do, to pick up that, that envelope, the envelope that had the, like, the, the cash in it. So I remember getting that first envelope. Maybe you have memories of something similar. That first envelope, opening it up, and for the last two weeks of my work, $130 of riches poured into my hands. And at that moment... I was rich. 
I was rich. Maybe you remember that too. You were rich. But you also know this. It wore off pretty quickly. It wore off pretty quickly. And, and so think, how many of you as a kid hoped that you would be rich someday? Right? I, I think most of us, um, I, I don't know if any, we have any DuckTales fans in the house, but I was a big fan of DuckTales watching growing up. And um, there was this guy named, what was his name, who swam through the money bin? Scrooge McDuck, yes. And I was always wondering, like, how did he not have a headache, Right? You're diving through that stuff, and it's like hitting in your head. But it's about this, this money bin. And, of course, you know, we grow up, and as, now as an adult, most of us, you know, know somebody that we would consider rich, and please do not point at them. Um, but, but if you do, if you know someone that you consider rich, um, most of us, if we would confess this, um, we would say, you know, we look at them and we think, I could do a better job of being rich. That ever cross your mind? You look at their lives, you say, I could do a better job of, of that. Um, or, but beyond money, beyond money, we know people who are rich in other ways, rich in other things. Maybe it's that friend that has 5,000 friends on Facebook. They've reached the max that Facebook allows. Maybe somebody that's a people magnet. They're always at the parties and with neighbors and friends. Um, People that are are rich in kind of the smarts area, you know, beyond just the trivia games. They, like, know everything. They could tell you dates and, and reminders, all sorts of things. Maybe you know someone that's rich in time. They're always on these trips, right? Even after COVID, like they have like, they've already gone four different countries, four places, or, or they spend time watching, they watch everything, they have, they're rich in time. But isn't it interesting that when we look at our lives, the most transformative, most, most meaningful, and the richest moments in life always involve more giving than getting. Isn't that true? That, that on your wedding day, if you're married, on wedding day, sure, you gained a spouse, but hopefully you gave yourself to them. You probably had to give up something, some independence. Um, Getting stuff at Christmas is fantastic. It's always nice to have a present with your name on it and you open it. But isn't it always better to bless someone else, especially someone in need? Uh, Maybe for you, maybe maybe you even gave up a higher-paying job in order to take a lower-paying job just because God had called you to that position. See, we're, we're richest when we give, not gain. Being rich is not about what we can gain, but what we can give. And, and when you think about it, though, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Why would that be? It makes sense in our minds, so if we would acquire things, then, then we should feel richer, right? Well, I think it's similar to why a couple would choose uh, to have no spending money, less sleep, no time, and twice the amount of stress by having or adopting a child. It makes no sense, right? Why on earth would you do that? Why would you give yourself away? Because it's all about gaining. It's all about giving, not necessarily gaining. And the same thing happens to us spiritually. I remember when I was in the middle of of planting a new church, and we were in the middle of, of what we call fundraising, of course, you know, trying to get just some startup funds to get things going. And I remember the day that that our church received a an anonymous check for ten thousand dollars. Believe it or not, ten thousand dollars from a charitable trust. And to this day, I cannot tell you who sent that. It was it was amazing. I'm thinking like like who does that, right? 
I remember my first church, um, the first church experience when I was starting out in ministry. I remember when I was quitting my job and getting ready to go to seminary and I went over a family's house for dinner one of the nights before I was, I was leaving. And I knew that this family was living in poverty. Um, they were really struggling. And yet they handed me a card with a $50 bill inside of it. Like, who does that? That's crazy. It makes no sense. Uh, here, I, I, I know, I've heard the story and, and seen pictures on Facebook of people who were working on the, the church parsonage before I moved in here. Like spending your Saturday, like scooping mulch and putting stuff out. Um, we had people that, were, that are here early on Sunday morning. We had people that baked cookies, spent out cookies for teachers that they have never met, that we gave to the local elementary school. Who does that? Who gives stuff away? And so that's the question we're thinking about today. Why? Why? And maybe you've wondered that too. Like, why do people give sacrificially? Why are followers of Christ called to give sacrificially? What would motivate someone to do that? Because it is crazy. It is crazy. But the thing is, somehow, what makes us rich is not how we get what we gain but it is what we give. And so that's what Paul gets into as he closes his letter to the Philippian church, which is very interesting at the last section of Philippians 4. And the, this interesting part is the final passage is what scholars to believe, believe that is one of Paul's primary purposes in writing the letter in the first place. So his first purpose in writing this letter was to encourage the underdog church in tough times. Remember, they were being persecuted. They were undergoing a really hard time in, in life and in their ministry, probably wondering, should they go on? Paul himself was under house arrest, and so he's encouraging them. But Paul's other purpose, his second purpose here, is to thank the Philippians. Thank them for giving and being generous to support his ministry. And so as a means of thanking them, Paul reflects on why followers of Christ sacrificially give in, in so many ways. And the first thing that he relates is that our giving reflects our heart. Our giving reflects our heart. And you can follow along in your sermon notes that are printed in your worship guide or also they're online too on our website. So we're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 13. So he says this. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength." So our giving reflects our heart. So Paul says, what you give says more about who you are than actually what you have. What you give says more about who you are than the things that you have. And it's interesting because he's talking to persecuted peasants here. He's talking not to wealthy people, but people that, that aren't really rich in the way that we would consider it. And in verse 10, he, he notices, he says, well, I noticed that you renewed your concern for me. And uh, what he's not saying there, he's not saying, well, where were you before? Like, you didn't give up until this point. Like, come on, guys. But he's saying, you guys haven't had the opportunity to help. And the Greek word he uses there 
is a kairiomai, a kairiomai, which is actually an agricultural word. It's an agricultural word that means that the season was not right. Think about, like, it's September, right? Say you want a really, really good strawberry. Well, you're going to have to get it imported from California or elsewhere, right? Ain't nobody growing strawberries around here. Maybe some tomatoes still left over. But it was basically out of season, not at the right timing. But he's saying now, though, now it is time. He, it is time, and these people have seen it, and they've seized it, and they're giving exactly at the time of Paul's need. See, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will also be your heart, right? There's this inextricable connection between what's in our hearts, what is our very being, and what we give. And so Paul says he rejoiced greatly when he received their gift, but did you catch why in those verses? Because he needed the money? No, right? He didn't. He says, I don't need anything. He says, I learned to do without, right? He says, I'm good whether I'm eating at McDonald's or I'm going to Bonefish, right? He's saying, I'm saying I'm I'm happy whether I'm sleeping on the street or I'm staying at the Hilton. That doesn't matter. He says, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. And he uses this Greek term that his audience would have been familiar with because it was used often in initiation rites in pagan religions. He says, I've learned this secret, but it's not this like, this crazy, like, let me whisper it to you secret, but it's rather this secret to meaning, to sharing in life. It's a secret that our consumer culture, honestly, really needs to hear. And that secret is that wherever you are financially, Wherever your address is, whatever you earn, whatever your job is, you can do all of it through Christ who gives you what? Strength. Strength. He's associating here, your strength does not come from what you have. Your strength does not come from things. And of course, some of us have only taken verse 13, right? We just kind of emphasize that only. It's what I call versitis. We take a you know, scripture out of context. And you know it's nice when you like print it on pretty paper. And I remember I got a little plaque with that. Um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I got a little plaque for my high school graduation. I forget who gave it to me actually. And I wound up going to college and I put it on my study table as a reminder that I may hate organic chemistry, but I can do it through Jesus. And ever since then, I think I lost it, and there probably should have been a disclaimer on it to say, you can do all things through Jesus except find this when it's lost. See, it's, it's not about that. That's, that's a nice thing to think about. But he's saying that regardless of what your situation is, you can be content because it's through Christ. It's through Christ. Paul's saying not, you can't, it's not saying that you can do anything if you have Jesus. He's saying the secret to life is learning that your power is not found in what you acquire. That's what the world is going to tell you. And it's also not lost, though, when you don't have much or you don't have much strength in yourself. The secret is being content. It's living like life is a gift every single day, all of it, every breath, every moment, There's this interesting poll that was put out um, about a year or two back by Gallup, um, and they asked different wage earners, how much would you need to earn to be rich? Good question, huh? And so they asked people who earn roughly about $30,000 a year, 
And can you guess what they said, what their response was? How much would you need to earn to be rich? Any guesses? 100,000. So it averaged out to be about $74,000. So if you made 30,000, you said if you were 74,000, you would be rich. Then they asked people that made $50,000 a year. Can you guess what their response was? 100. Yes. They said, it would be $100,000. If I made $100,000, then I would be rich. And so uh, some of you guys, and no show of hands here, families that make upwards of $100,000, and they ask them, what would it take for you to be rich? $200,000, right? And then they ask people that made $200,000 a year. The average response was $5 million. There you go. And the rest of us are like, duh, like, you know, we want that, right? But you see what the trend is there? The line keeps going. It keeps going up. It's like, no, 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 this, no, 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 that, no, 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 that, that, that. You know, you, it, it probably, I think that's why Jesus talked about money and possessions more than heaven, hell, divorce, sex combined. That's why in the Gospels, one-eighth, believe it or not, one-eighth of the verses in the Gospels deal with money. He knew that gaining easily enthralls us. And I've experienced that firsthand. I remember my, my first full-time job, I, I made $17,500 a year, and I thought I was rich, you know, but then that changed. That changed as my paycheck changed. See, that doesn't mean that we don't enjoy what God has blessed us with. But Paul's saying that what's in your heart is going to show up in how you use what you do have. Your money, your time, your, your family, your resources, your gifts. See, when you see that all that you have is a gift, you see it differently. You see it through a sense of trust in God as a gift that perhaps can keep on giving. We see it as not yours completely. I don't know about you, but all the funerals I've been to, nobody has ever put a credit card in the coffin, right? It's, it's not something that we can take or carry with us. And, and you know, we think about, okay, I'm going to pass it on to my kids or, or grandkids or, or that kind of thing. And, and truthfully, will they tend to use it in that same way? Probably, maybe, but maybe not. See, Paul's saying that what you give reflects concern for Christ's mission. And it starts in here. It starts in our heart. But then he goes on, and he shares another reason why followers of Christ give, and that's because our giving produces fruit. Our giving produces fruit. So we're going to look at Philippians 4, 14 through 17. He says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Wow, right? For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. So our giving produces fruit. Verse 17, our, the translators here, uh, where it says, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. The translators, they're trying to help us city folk out. So it, this, this idea of credited to your account, like what does that actually mean? It's kind of a financial sense here. But Paul is actually using an agricultural term. He's using the Greek word karpos, which means bear fruit or fruit. 
It's the fruit that can be born out of it. And so a little disclaimer here, I am not a prosperity um, gospel preacher. So you might turn on the TV sometime and see somebody, if you give, you will receive, right? Pass that plate around like five million times, like, and then God's going to bless you permanently, right? Like, no, I'm somebody, I vacation in New Jersey, so, and I live modestly, um, and I'm not a believer to say, okay, well, if you give this amount, then you're going to be blessed 1,100 times in that same amount, or that's really not the case, um, sometimes those things come back, and, that, and that's a gift, and that's a blessing, but that's not why we do it. It's not why we do it. He's saying it bears fruit. Our giving produces fruit. See, Paul's saying here he's excited for what the gift will bear forth in the lives of those who give, but also those that they give to. It, the, and think about it. When, when, you, when you give, something inside of you happens. It, the righteousness, holiness, transformation it happens inside of you when you give yourself away. And if you think about what that means in an agricultural context, it makes sense. Because at that time, fruit bearing and profit were equal things. It wasn't just like, you know, some of us grow our tomato garden or our veggies and um, you forget to water it and it's dead in a week and you're sad, but you kind of get over it. That's not the case here. These people lived and died whether or not they had a fruit, whether they had fruit from their crop. And so in ancient times, planting was life or death. The farmer makes an investment, takes a risk. Why? Because if he or she is unwilling to invest the seed, they will not receive the harvest. Think about that. Somebody has to hear that again. If, if you're not willing to invest the seed, you'll not receive the harvest from it. Uh, those of us that might be afraid, you know, afraid, what would happen if I gave all of it, all of myself and what I have to God? You know, not necessarily even money. The farmer takes a risk. The, it's not a stupid risk. It's not, a, it's not a, a stupid risk by any means. Farmers understand how plants work. Paul says, you are investing. You're planting spiritual seed here. And I'm excited for you because what I know, I know what it will bear for you personally, but also for God's kingdom. And it's gonna be greater than anything you can imagine. Isn't it interesting, the things we're most afraid to give away, the things that we're, we most fear doing often turn out to bear the most fruit. In ministry, it's the ministry that somebody invited you to join in and you're like, I don't have any experience in that. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know anybody. And yet when you were obedient to that, something happened and it, was, it, it changed you. Or that person that you were at a gathering, you were afraid to talk to or you felt like a stranger and yet you went and did and the person wound up being your spouse or maybe a great friend or a lifelong companion. Uh, think about that. The things that we're most afraid to, uh, to do or that we fear to give away often turn to bear the most fruit. And, and as a pastor, it's so amazing that when, when I can see people that take a risk to move beyond their discomfort, to join us, to invest in us. And, and you know, it's amazing to see folks' faith grow and you might be one of them. See, that's what God does. That's why we, we give and we serve because it produces fruit in our lives as well as in the lives of other people. 
And that takes us to the last reason that Paul shows us as he concludes his letter. He shows us why folks that follow Christ, why people give and serve Christ's kingdom. And that is simply because our giving honors God. Our giving honors God. It's a, it's a form of worship. So look at Philippians 4, verses 18 through 20. He says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering. Smell that, right? An acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our giving honors God. Paul already showed that our giving reveals our concern for Christ's mission and how it produces fruit in our lives. But now he shows how it's, a, it's an act of our worship. Uh, have you ever been to a church where every week they preached about needing money? I have, right? It's a captive audience for a money talk, right? Most churches, most churches admittedly approach this thing called tithing, this idea of giving 10% of your income. They approach it from a standpoint of fundraising to say, okay, you guys want to keep the lights on? Better, come on. Like, pay up, right? Or, hey, you want toilet paper in that bathroom? Okay. Do you like the youth pastor or the children's pastor? He or she costs money, right? It becomes like a sustainable revenue stream to fund the institutional goals of the church. Can I get an amen to that? True. But scripture doesn't address giving like that. It's, it's totally different. And while those things are important, Paul shows it's an act of our worship, Regardless of whether the lights are on or we have toilet paper or you have the the best band or youth pastor, he says he is well supplied, he is good, but then he says don't stop giving to God even once the needs are met. See, giving is an outward expression of faithfully participating in our relationship with God. It's giving back a portion that, that God has blessed us with that's not really ours to begin with. And we may say, well, I worked hard and I earned this. Well, what got you there in the first place? Who gave you, you know, the, the ability to think, the, the way to be educated, the skills with your hands? It's interesting. The primary form of worship in the Old Testament was sacrificial worship, where they bring a part of their flock or their crop and offer it to God on an altar and then burn it. And again and again in the Old Testament, it's mentioned that this was a a, a soothing aroma to the Lord. And that's what Paul is referring to here. He's making a connection. He's saying your gift, using your gifts, it's a fragrant offering. It's pleasing to God. And so giving honors God. It honors God. But how? Well, first it shows we trust in the giver, not in the gift. That's being trapped in all the, the ways that, that the world tells us. Well, the thing more that you get, the more you get. Well, it's trusting, we're, tr- we're trusting in the giver, that he'll provide for our needs. It's interesting, that family that I told you who gave me the $50 bill, um, I've stayed in touch with them over the years. And it's been amazing to see God work in their lives and transform their whole family. You know, there's a sense of trust in the giver, not the gift. It also shows that what we own does not own us. I know I've mentioned this before. It's freedom. It's to say, well, I'm not trapped by, by what I have or what I acquire. It actually gives me freedom when I'm able to, to pass that on. But it also shows that we're about more than ourselves. 
We're about more than ourselves because we're in actively involved in, in sharing hope and love and faith with people around us that desperately need it, who, who are seeking Christ but don't know it, who are seeking meaning and haven't found it, and helps us expand ministry, whether at the church or even personally, to, to share those things. It looks beyond ourselves. So being rich, folks, is not about what we gain, but it's about what we give. Did you know you're rich? That you're rich? You're rich? You're rich? I, I'm rich? Because where we invest ourselves, our resources, our time, reflects what's in our heart more than what's in our bank account. And when you've experienced grace from God, right, he, he gave the ultimate sacrifice. When, when we receive that grace, then we can look at all of life as a gift and that we're just giving back. We're giving a thank you note, a thank you card to God. And that's the secret to contentment. Paul tells us that's the secret to contentment, to contentment, seeing life as a gift that we've been given, that we want to share. And what does it do? It produces fruit. Produces fruit in our lives and honors God. And freedom and joy come with it wherever you are. And that means you can be content. And trust me, it's crazy. It's crazy to most people, just as it's crazy to have kids, or crazy for a farmer to put the last of their wheat into the ground. But anyone, anyone who has richly given knows this, that your greatest moments are the moments you gave the most. True for you as it was for Christ, who demonstrated the richest love that there is by giving it all away. And so as we head to the table today, I want to just take a moment to pause to just give an opportunity at the end of this series for us to, to go to the Lord in our hearts, to, to confess, to confess ways that we, we have, have, have failed to give. It has been about us. A time to reflect, reflect, a time to pray, and to briefly ask the question, what is it that I need to give away? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.